Hello and welcome to Mikey Pod. This is episode 171. It's December 3rd, 2013. I've got a great interview with you for you today. Um, Adam Roxar is joining me. His uh, project Rua has just released a new album. Um, oh my god. What's the name of it? I was just looking at it. Science Fiction? Yeah, it's called Science Fiction. Um, so I was so happy to uh, have him on the show today. Um, yeah, I feel like I should give a shout out. I've, this is my third attempt at getting this podcast going again. I've interviewed people and I keep screwing it up. And I think it's because I'm a little out of practice with the recording and all of that stuff. Um, but this one worked and I'm going to backtrack and hopefully um, my previous attempts at guests, author T. Cooper and poet an amazing rock star, uh, Rachel Can, are both willing to uh, try again. <laughs> I hate, I feel so, yeah, let's not get into all that. So, yay, what's up? So that's great. Uh, so right after this, oh, my name is Michael Heron, by the way. My podcast, my uh, website is michaelheron.com. You can read more about me there. Um, this podcast is hosted at mikeypod.com. And uh, I would love to hear from you. I know there are a bunch of you that are still like hanging on and subscribed to this. So I thank you. And I hear from zero of you. So if you feel like sending an email uh, or a comment on the website or a tweet or whatever you want to do, please do so. I think that's everything. Here's a track from uh, Rua's new album, Science Fiction. It's called When You Cry, and after that, we'll hear from Adam. Oh, P.S. After the interview, at the very end of this episode, uh, I'm going to have a special CD giveaway, so keep listening. Crap. 
That was When You Cry from Rua. And uh, Adam Roxar from Rua is joining me right now. And here is his bio. <laughs> I love being as like, awkward as possible. Uh, <laughs> Rua is a science fiction pop, R&B, and dance music by visual artist and psychologist Adam Roxar. I'm so excited to talk about the psychology part. Uh, Roxar is an alternative singer-songwriter who, created, who creates Rua out of, a homemade, out of homemade software, tape machines, and stories about what it means to be human. So welcome, Adam. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I love that we're that you have homemade software in your bio because that's originally how I came across you at the uh, Ableton Live Advanced Users thing where you performed with your iPhone. Oh right, you were at that. You were at that. I yeah. thought it, that's why you took my class later. Yeah, and I was so right. into it because I like I feel like all the things that I do, I do a lot of standing and not moving around, and I, that was <laughs> like one of those like, oh my god. That's what I can do on stage. Yeah, but I mean, you maybe we have different tasks. You're you're sort of telling a story, uh, and I'm like trying to dance a little bit. So oh yeah 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 it's it's a balance of stuff. So yeah, you've been doing. Uh, I don't even know where to start. We should talk about that. I I want to talk about Ableton and Max and all that stuff, but maybe yes. like a surfacey conversation about it in case there are people listening who might like get glassy eyed. <laughs> not not really yeah. follow. Let's let's see. Yeah, we'll avoid like nerding out too deeply. Yeah, but you're super into it. Like I think guru when I think of you with <laughs> <it's> really like, <laughs> Am I overstating that? I guess it may yes. feel like that to you. No, it doesn't feel that way to me because like I am so painfully aware of all the things that I can't do with it. Um and I once um you know, I, I taught a class in this in, in Max, which I guess we, I can just say for people who don't know, that's a programming language. But uh, but as I see it, like a programming language that's particularly aimed at artists mm-hmm. uh, who want to make stuff with music and video and like um, art that you can kind of interact with. But uh, so I taught a class in that uh, in the springtime at, at Bennington College in Vermont, and it just so happened that the guy who is the president of the company that makes Max, and his name is David Ziccarelli, he came to my class because he's a Bennington. Um, alum and uh, he, someone asked him about like gurus and Max, like how many are there out there or something like that, and he said basically uh, there's nobody, <laughs> that it's just not possible to become a, a guru and something like that because it's just there's always like um, more and more and more to know. And it's sort of like it's, it's <laughs> I, I start stuttering when I can't like figure out how to put words into it, but it's such it's so deep that creates itself anew right like yeah that's why you can't like there's so many you can cre- yeah whoa no, dude <laughs> you know, that's what is really interesting to me about programming languages and and is that how they deal with abstraction right like like it's such like these it's these like trippy kinds of thoughts where it's like you can make a program that can make a program that can make another program like that kind of like stacking of um of abstraction is exactly what to me is so interesting about programming and what's so like uh difficult uh to put your brain around it because i think your brain really can't get around certain types of uh abstract thinking like that you can just kind of like you just kind of fake it yeah <laughs> and that's i think like why your approach in the class the online class i took was really great for me because it was like here's a little piece and this is all we're going to talk about yeah, yeah, and, yeah, like, and it was easy to not get overwhelmed. I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I really, it's like, I, you know, teaching is something I've done for a really long time that really matters to me, and uh, partially that's from 
being in situations where someone was trying to teach me and I was sucking at it and feeling stupid and like feeling like, oh, I'm never going to understand this stuff. And I like don't ever want people to have that experience in a class that I teach. And I find that with technical stuff, usually it's a matter of um, avoiding what I call like like TMI teaching, like just like too much information. Like you just like zone in on the thing that someone cares about and like go deep into it. Yeah. And then you like hop from one deep thing to another and they can follow each specific thing and start to build a, a bigger picture in their mind of like what the like the, the, the sort of um, the whole thing is about. That's really interesting. Are you familiar with the Montessori at all, like Montessori teaching? I know it exists, uh, but I don't actually know anything about like what uh, it's like belief is. That's kind of what it is. Like the whole point of them for in Montessori, I taught at a Montessori school forever. <clears throat> and uh, oh, so I learned thanks. a lot about it there. But um, th- it's that idea, like the the whole idea of the classroom teacher is to present like little bits of as many things as possible and then let the kids find the thing that they really like and let them take it deeper. Huh. What did you teach? I didn't know you had taught. Uh, music. Ah, no way. Of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting because I learned um, the Montessori like music curriculum. Yeah, and it, it taught me a lot about relationships and music that I hadn't realized yet. It was really great for me. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah. So we should talk about when you cry, since we started the show with that. Is there anything, or is there anything you really want to share about this song? <laughs> um, well, that song is one that I actually started working on. Uh, I think it was last year, December. So it's one of the like older ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the music recorded for it. Um, and it was one of the first tracks that I made mm, doing a lot of live uh, improvisation while I was playing it. Like, I remember I spent a lot of time building um, building those sounds, like uh, like the sounds like in the chorus that like come shooting by. Like, all those originally came from me, like, turning knobs to create them, like, live. So it was fun to make the music. It was just, like, kind of like an improv session and uh, oh and, at, and I, at the time i was really into um oh what type of I, I forgot exactly who i was trying to rip off when i made that song it was like uh definitely like early 90s like dance stuff uh, it wasn't this exactly but i was like listening to a lot of like freestyle oh and, cool uh and like um and, and then unrelated to freestyle tracks like uh, Groove is in the Heart and uh, oh, 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 I know, like Rhythm is a Dancer and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Who sang that song? Uh, snap? No, is it, it Snap? Yeah, it's Snap. It's, I think it's Snap. <laughs> I think it's Snap. So I was into like Snap and I think Labouche and stuff like that. And so I was thinking of like those sort of bass lines. But then it took me like uh, uh, eight months before I got around to like actually singing and writing lyrics to it. Oh, cool. So the music came first. Yeah, the music came first. I, had a, I actually performed it live like in January, uh, and it was really different. I didn't have any words. I just made them up because I was, went through a phase where I was really interested in never writing lyrics until I was on stage and just trying to improvise them. Um, so some of like what I was improvising on stage, I r- wrote down, and I used a little bit to get started when I, when I returned to the track. That's interesting. So how, like, how was it? making things up on stage or i love making things up on stage <laughs> it's my favorite thing uh i like it better than uh sitting uh, at home trying to record the music like i like i like the speed of 
of of improv. Like I like um, I, I like all of my creative process is organized against me thinking too much because when I think too much, uh, what I make I think comes out uh, either badly uh, or it just doesn't feel satisfying to me. Like I like to be always surprised by what I'm making. Um, and I'm really hooked on that feeling. That's sort of like the addictive part to me is like making something um, and be, and realizing, oh, I didn't know I was writing a song about that until it came out of my mouth. Or sometimes I don't even know what this song is about because I'm busy improvising the words. And then I go back and I listen to the recording. and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I was singing about that. Uh, so like I, I really enjoy encountering myself through the surprise of it. And so um, with words and also with the music too, like I I spent a long time like playing like electric guitar before I got into electronic music. And I, I, you know, I, I think I learned like two solos in my life as a kid before I started saying, I'm just going to start making things up from now on. Uh, So partially it's also, uh, I'm really bad at having the discipline to like rehearse things, but I'm, I'm good at practicing improvising. That's really interesting. It's, uh-huh. I, I, yeah, I try, I try not to dive too much into my own like experience. Oh, why not? We're <laughs> here. We're two people encountering each other, so I say go for it. Uh, okay, so back, <laughs> I should go all the way back. When I was yeah. six years old, <laughs> it all began. <laughs> uh, no, but what like I I have always approached music, I guess the same way you did, except that I'm just getting to the. Uh, I've I've was like classically trained on piano. Yeah. And it's super hard to not be prepared, quote unquote, but it's super, it's really rewarding not to be when something. Yeah. Well, it seems like for people who were classically trained, which I'm not one of them. Um, I mean, it's such a different skill set. You're building all these muscles via rehearsing. And I imagine getting really into like the expressive, like the expression of the piece, like of a particular piece. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, it is true. But and there's also a big level that I've, especially when I got to like, uh, like a real like academic world of music, that thing of rigidity that I didn't really Uh, appreciate. I always found it a little bit surprising when I knew I knew people who are really um, uh, who are trained classically and really talented at playing their instrument, and then I would want to just kind of play with them and improvise. And a lot of not everybody. But some pe- a lot of people would just kind of at that point kind of freeze up and be like, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, th- I, I'm that person. I like just recently I've had like different experiences where I've been forced to do more improvising. Yeah, and it's actually been really good for me <laughs> because yeah. I can do it. I yeah. didn't really. I always in my mind it's like, oh, I don't, I don't do that. I I read music. Period. That's what's cool about it to me is it's like I feel like everyone can improvise and. Uh, but in order to do it, you have to um, deal with some internalized uh, barriers. And I'm, I'm, you know, maybe this is the psychologist in me, but I'm all for anything that forces you to encounter these ideas that you have about yourself that limit you and push past them. Yeah, yeah. Like I think partly my thing with improvising was that's like what those other like really cool jazz people do, <laughs> and they have the whole language of it, right? And I was like, I don't know that language, and I like they're gonna hear me, like I all that. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, the, this whole story is created out of just. Can you play this chord chart for me? <laughs> right. You know what I mean, right, right, yeah, totally. <laughs> Which I think, if someone handed me a chord chart, 
I'd probably freak out because I may not know how to play those chords. But yeah. So I do. I understand. I understand. And there've definitely been situations where I like tried to improvise with people, and I just sucked at it because I couldn't. They were speaking at a level, or sort of like a fluency that I didn't have. Right. Um, but you know, that's what's nice about working on your own is <laughs> you can just uh, you can just improvise in the way that feels right to you. And exactly. Not... Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So, have you ever? Uh, I don't know how long you've been performing live. How how long have you been at it? I mean, I started like. Uh, playing live on acoustic guitar in uh i mean like when i was like in the late 90s okay so uh, yeah but it changed a lot yeah i forgot where i was going with that <laughs> something about the improv improvising and oh and getting it from you know a comfortable safe space like your studio or your apartment wherever you're working right. and then suddenly you're like oh I'm yeah, gonna let people hear this today. Yeah, but you know what? For me, I love that part. Like, yeah. and that's just from years of practice. Like, I, I think and it's not just music, but uh, every single, uh, every activity that I enjoy, like that I've done professionally, has involved performance to some degree. Like, you, I mean, you too. You've taught, so teaching yeah. to, is like a, a huge performative act. And I started teaching like when I was like 16. Like, and so I've been teaching for a long time. And uh, uh, so teaching and then starting to play guitar in front of people. And I used to do, um, you know, like in high school, I did like like drama and like extemporaneous speaking and debating. And um, I've always, and in college, I, I made it improv comedy for a bunch of years. Like I've always been drawn to things where uh, you have to make a safe space out of the stage, out of like a public space. Yeah. Although most of that was done with you know other people around, it felt performative, but there was like a big relational element. Like for example, when I did improv comedy in college, that was like a really uh, defining experience for me. Um, and I think the reason I was able to do it was because I was doing it on stage with other people who I, I cared a lot about, uh, both as people and as performers. What's different now is like when I go on stage, for example, tonight when I play my show. Um, I go on stage by myself and it's less, it's definitely less satisfying. Yeah. Interesting. There's still the, an audience to relate to. Like I can feel people reacting to stuff, but it's so different than say when I was in a, I was in a band for a number of years. Um, and when we would, you know, improvise, we, I mean, we were reacting to each other and that, that was always so great. Like if we play, if we were playing a show where the audience didn't like us, uh, I mean, we had a great system. We would just turn towards each other because we liked playing with each other. So if we just, remembered that and played to each other actually we'd, we'd almost always be able to change the energy of the show and get people into it oh, i don't that's interesting there's nothing like that now now it's like i try to substitute human companionship on stage with software which you know that's like a sort of like a nerdy dream that baby, <laughs> baby is doomed ultimately to never be satisfying but yeah so we'll see where it takes us but you're pretty good at like uh sort of faking that i don't think that's the right word just a, a lot of your software really <laughs> does react to you it does react to me it does it does um it yeah it's reacting to me sort of mathematically though so it's like different than the unpredictability of like a person reacting or the not that they're unpredictable but when people react there's like a whole relational component that the software lacks right uh, so what i do is i try to build in the software reacts to me by listening to the music 
So it's reacting to something in the music, which is helpful. It's better than it's sort of just randomly doing things. And then I just, because I, it, then I, that is to me, um, not so useful. Yeah. Uh, like sure. Cause that's, that's something that you can make in software. Like you can make software that randomly does stuff to your music. And then you're like, Oh, I have to react to this. Cause I didn't expect that. But randomness is, uh, is, um, to me, when if applied too much is kind of boring. It's, it's almost the same as it, as it not even reacting to you at all. Oh yeah. That's so interesting. A little bit of randomness is good though. I find. Yeah, and it's like it's interesting to have that, but I don't know if you can hear this. My cat is running back and forth in the apartment. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear this, like trampling. <laughs> I can't hear the cat, cat soundtrack. Uh, it's it's really good. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it, it's interesting that because there seems to be a balance between all of those things in the type of software that you create, which is really interesting to me. Uh, glad to hear that. That's something that that matters to me. I always like try to. I don't want to lose that balance. Yeah. So the psychology background is like you really have a psychology background. It's not just a thing that you toss out there. I have a ton of student loans to prove that I have a psychology background. <laughs> <laughs> I have like a, I mean, I have a, like a, a master's in psychology, and that was what my undergrad degree was in too. That's yeah, it's interesting. Like, were you always planning on doing music as well, or no, no? I was planning. I think uh, I was planning on being a writer like a writer of fiction, uh, in addition to being a psychologist. Right. That was like what I thought when I was like in high school, I, I wanted to do. I'd played guitar back then, but it wasn't really until, um, you know, I played, and I played guitar all through co- college and I started to write songs then, but I didn't think about music seriously until I um, was actually out of grad school. So I, I was like 23, I think when uh or 22 when it suddenly a bunch of things happened that suddenly made me feel like i i really wanted to write music like all all the time but i still worked full-time as a psychologist for another um, six years or so after that so are are you doing it at all anymore no as a psychologist no (laughs) just just you know informally to everybody i know but because i can't help it but not not uh not uh, at any agency or for any paycheck Gotcha. So are you just teaching and making music? Right now I am teaching and I'm making music and I'm making a software. That's become the main thing that I'm doing. Oh yeah. yeah. Software and I'm doing like uh, both software for myself, but also for companies that I'm partnering up with. Like, you know, I partnered with Ableton, um, but there's other things along coming along the way too. And I, and I also, um, build software for like people who hire me like um for example there's like a project i'm working on that involves like a uh, a pediatrician like his office he wants to turn into like a giant interactive hands-free play zone for the kids so that's that's something i'm i'm designing you know with software oh that's cool so that that's the kind of work i'm doing right now when i when i can find it (laughs) interesting i love that Go ahead. I'm not really, now that I finished this album, um, I think I'm pa- going to pause for. I wrote some more songs like right away, just because I was so glad to be finished with the album and I was sort of free again. But I think I'm going to pause with uh, with music writing and focus on the software stuff. Oh, cool. Because uh, right now the new thing is getting into starting to build a a game basically, um, but it's like a music remix game. 
Oh, that's cool. So it's, it's a music tool. Uh, it's like a way to make music, but you, you play it like a game. Whoa. <laughs> I'm always like fascinated and like just slightly <laughs> aw- awestruck. Not awestruck. That's too much. But too much. like there's a level of like, okay, what? What's that going to be? <laughs> I, I just, I mean, these are, you know, I've always, I'm just in a fortunate place where right now a lot of the different threads of my lifelong interests are able to come together. And so, like, you know, I, I, when I was a kid, I loved games, right? And I loved computers. And then I sort of turned away from all that in order for me to um, be cooler when I was in high school. Because <laughs> right. this was at a, at a time before, like, computers were cool. My sense is that they're cool now. But, um so, you know, I, I turned away from that. I got into music and rock and roll and things like, well, grunge specifically. Oh. And now, but, you know, I've come back to a lot of the things that I loved when I was younger. And so it's really cool for me now to realize that the skills I developed because I loved music included programming. Like I learned to program because of music. And now I can do stuff with programming that I've always wanted to be able to do and didn't think I was going to be able to. Like I didn't know how to program until like five or six years ago. Oh, that's interesting. It was after I left uh, full-time psychology work that I started to discover all that. Which I like to tell people because, you know, I- I've made like things in- with with software that I really like. And often when I'm teaching it, people are like, whoa, like maybe I could never be that way. But that was like exactly what I said just a few years ago. Like, and I didn't have any, I- I- it's not like I was a kid uh, learning how to program in C++ in my bedroom for years. Like I didn't have that experience. Yeah. It all came better. I was learning, trying to figure out how to play like Nirvana songs. Yeah, it's really interesting, all of that. Like, I had a similar, like, experience where, with Ableton, just like when we had our lesson together recently. Yeah. Where I was like, oh, I know how to use this. Yeah, you totally know how to use this. <laughs> but forever I was like, oh, I'm learning this, I'm learning this. And, yeah. And of yeah. course I'm still learning, but it, it was an interesting, like, take on or a realization that, oh, I don't have to do this for. 20 years yeah. to be able to like be relatively proficient. At How long happening. have you been here? Uh, maybe a year and a half, two years. Yeah. Well, I mean, you uh, are good at it. So maybe it was just a matter of having someone else to reflect that back at you. I think that was it because I've always, it was kind of like what I was talking about with, with your improvisation or mine for that matter. And suddenly realizing like, Oh, someone else is going to see this now. And then right. realizing like, Oh, that it, it's okay. Yeah, well, it's, okay. right, they see it and they're like, oh, this is cool. Then you're like, wait, this must mean that I'm not a fraud or I've managed to trick this person. Yeah. But <laughs> it depends on how, how deep your uh, complex is about it. Exactly. So let's talk about uh, Perfect Buildings, which is from your newest album, Science Fiction. Um, it, and it partnered. Am I right in my sense that it kind of goes together with the next track, P.S. I'm Fine? It does. It does. But they were written... Um, like four years apart. Oh wow! But they don't. They are, they're supposed to go together. Yeah. So uh, the, I, yeah, I, I like sort of sad moodiness. So I think <laughs> that's why I was like, oh, this is my track. Yeah, it's the saddest one. On yeah. The, for so, me anyway. there's so much going on. I don't even know which questions to ask you. So tell me about that track. <laughs> that track is old. Like for me, uh, I mean, not not. It's old uh, in the sense that it was um, from. Uh, I think I think from four years ago, uh, and I wrote it. Um, well, I, I guess I'll talk. Let's see, what should I say about it? I'll say this: um, it was an improv 
like a vocal improv uh, over an improvised piano line. So I just record myself playing the piano and singing uh, live. Uh, and it was a one take kind of deal. Um, and then I, at that time period, I was really into auto-tune, like so much. Uh, and so I heavily used auto-tune on that track, partially to make me sing better, but more because um, I wanted that song to be about like um, people sort of like trying and failing to connect with each other, despite sort of the abundance of new ways to connect. Right. Um, so that's why, like, the chorus is me singing about all the email connections and all the perfect connections. But I was trying on purpose, like, I think for the second chorus, I have one voice saying, singing all the email connections, while another voice higher is singing all the perfect connections. And the fact that they're singing two different things at the same time, I thought was a little, makes it, a, it kind of, um, like, purposely added some noise to the message. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what the song is about, like... Uh, it was also, you know, just to be more personal, less technical about it, like written about like, uh, like kind of a breakup, um, that was like really, uh, painful for me at that time. And, uh, and that was sort of like the lowest point in that, uh, in the, in the process of dealing with it was when that song just sort of like fell out in one, I think it's why it fell out in one take. Right. It was very... Uh, true and not invented at all and um, so you know I was sort of singing about this this person who I had had we had had all these like wonderful like sort of email email relationship for a while there was a real life relationship too but we had a ton of really good emails it was sort of like the the pain of like having felt this beautiful connection then sort of collapse and uh, I wanted the song to sound that way and it was definitely it was painful enough that I like the I, I, the last verse um, isn't is was me improvising um, just how bad it felt and even though it kind of sounds like words there's like no it's like a wordless language the last verse it, it, it's just sounds that sound like words that were just me feeling really sad <laughs> <laughs> just being really open about it uh, that's what it was it's so awesome. Well then, and then I, uh, and then I actually, like a year later, I uh, got back together with that girl. Oh, and, really? Yeah, and then we, and then we, uh, our relationship ended this year again for good, and that's where the the PS song came from. Ah, interesting. It's from so it's that yeah so there's a man I mean I could tell I could speak for a really long time about that whole thing but I probably shouldn't but it's uh <laughs> it's just uh. So anyway, so it's a song that I had for a really long time. It was from an earlier collection that I just released to friends mm-hmm. like called Hello World. Um, and uh, it was kind of, my friend called it like an album of like demented, auto-tuned pop. And, uh, but I, that particular song always, um, a lot of the other songs on there I, I think are bad, but that one always stayed with me and it always made me sad when I listened to it. So I figured that was something. And I felt like it had a place on the science fiction album because I was trying to write songs that were about connecting and technology, but not necessarily going straight on and, and, and naming those, those themes directly. I dig it. <laughs> that, uh, I love the auto tune. Honestly, I think people are really, 
I don't think people understand autotune. That's a weird thing to say. <laughs> no, they, you're right. I think autotune is totally awesome. Like when I wrote that album, that the original that that song, like in the album around it, I, every track on there was autotune, and I was so into um, uh, Lil Wayne with the Carter Three. Do you know that album with like no. with Lollipop on it and like. Uh, like a lot of like big his like I thought that was his last big really good album and I loved the way he used autotune I thought it was so cool like just from a technical standpoint he had the um he would often have the you know when you use autotune people think and I, I encounter this all the time when I use autotune with kids when I teach them music uh-huh. they always think if you just turn on autotune you're gonna sing awesome but it's not true like you still need to be able to sing enough to let autotune know what note you're trying to hit yeah. So so there's actually a lot of room for expression with autotune because it isn't just like an automatic machine. And uh, one knob that I like in autotune in particular is the one that sets how long it takes before autotune uh, guides your note to the right spot. So like the classic T-Pain auto, autotune sound is the amount of time is like zero. So it's just like instantly it's, the note is flattened out to the correct pitch immediately. But what Lil Wayne was doing that I really liked was there was a bit of a a lag. So it gave it this weird this weird warble where you would hear the, the, the you would hear the wrong note become right. And I and I really liked that. I, I tried doing that a lot on that album. It's cool. That and the other knob that I really like is the knob that controls how how big of a person you sound like. There's oh, like, that's interesting. That's like, you know, because like if you lower your pitch, you know, people start to sound like bigger, you know, like, um, like to the point where you sound like kind of like a monster or when you raise a pitch, usually people sound like chipmunks. But right. there is another there's a knob you can adjust that that sets that the extent to which that happens. So that song, uh, Perfect Buildings, there is um, some pitch shifting going on where I was raising pitches, but avoiding the chipmunk effect by bringing down the body size. Oh, that's interesting. It's cool. You know who does that? There's a, this artist called The Weeknd. Do you know him? No. That He's sounds cool. familiar to me, but I can't place. He kind of sounds like, he does like kind of like Drake-inspired, like dark, dark R&B. And he's got one track on an, uh, I forget which album it is. It's the one that has a, has a Michael Jackson cover on it where he's got the, that, that knob that changes the size of your body. He's got it automating. So as he's singing, you hear him sort of morphing between different people. And I love that idea, the idea that you can actually, you know, and maybe this would appeal to you too because of your storytelling, but you could create characters, it seems that way, because you can create different voices. Oh, that's interesting. And you can create big people, little people, people of different genders. Like um, that's starting to get into characterization. Yeah. Okay. I'm adding adding it to my list of software to learn. Yeah, and you actually don't even need autotune to do that necessarily. I, I really like this uh, plugin called Pitch Wheel. That it doesn't correct pitch, but it lets you do pitch shifting. And it's just two knobs, and one of them is your pitch. The other is sort of like the size of the part person's body. Oh, cool. Pitch Wheel. Yeah, it has a nice sound to it. I like the way it sounds. Cool. All right. I think we should wrap this thing up. Sounds good. Uh, so we're going to listen to Perfect Buildings and P.S. I'm Fine from the album Science Fiction. Uh, tell us, where where's the best place to find you? Um, so you can download all of my music for free from my band camp, which is uh, Rua, the band, like R-U-W-A, the band, at, um, you know, at bandcamp.com. Um, 
there is no there is no band. I just call it that because Rua. I don't know why. I forgot why Rua didn't work. So that's where you can download all the music. Um, oh. Or you just type, if you just Google my name, like I, I have like a ton of different like sites that you can go to that are all like sort of linked by just searching for me. Oh, so, cool! And I'll put links to uh, the Bandcamp for sure. And your Tumblr is that like sort of home base ish for you? Yeah, I have. I've got to rethink that. But yeah, I have a. I have a. I have two Tumblrs that people know about. I have like four secret Tumblrs. Um, <laughs> I have like a ton of things scattered. So the Tumblr called Make Yourself Transparent tumblr.com yeah. is the one i've been using as like a home base okay cool all right you can find all these links at mikeypod.com and uh thanks for joining us today hey thanks for talking with me i really was glad to be able to uh, sit and chat yeah
Scars of skin stuck in time The sadness is a heart that's in rewind So raise a glass and drink to what's gone Our scars of skin we are what goes on That was Adam Roxar, a.k.a. Rua, with P.S. I'm Fine, preceded by the stunning perfect buildings i don't know what it is about that track but lordy be it gets me going so thank you adam for uh being on the show and uh, i mentioned earlier in the show that i would be doing a giveaway <laughs> what's up with that voice i don't know <laughs> i have a couple of cds that uh ghostly international sent me um quite some time ago so apologies to them but not so sad for you because i'm going to do a little giveaway here um if you can, uh, yeah, I'll do the thing I normally do. Uh, so, oh, what I've got, I should tell you, uh, I have Lucene. These are, were recent albums when they sent them to me. They're both great. Uh, Lucene's The Waiting Room and uh, Matthew Deere's Beams, both from Ghostly International, whom, whom, who you should be checking out. <laughs> so here's what I want you to do. Um, post a tweet or on Facebook or whatever, Tumblr, uh Instagram, whatever, social media, or somewhere on the web, something about my podcast and this interview with uh, Rua. And uh, I will, whoever is the first person to do that, I assume that's the best way to do it. Um, I'll send you these CDs. There you go. And uh, just as a little teaser to see how awesome this stuff is, I'm going to play a track from uh, Lucene. I haven't chosen one yet. I think there's February. Yeah, let's do that. Um, MikeyPod.com or MichaelHeron.com if you want specifics about me. And um, I'm on Twitter as Michael Heron. You can see all those links on either of my sites. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, let me know what you thought of this. Um, also, check out Adam. Blah, blah, blah. Check out everyone. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>